0: Thank you so much for joining me, Adam. Uh, I really, uh, really, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, Dr. Williams. I really appreciate yeah. being
0: here. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, I re, I became reinvigorated uh, by doing these podcasts again because I had so many people come up to me at the meeting and thank me for doing them. And I think that there's not a lot of this frank, honest discussion at the meetings, and we all can benefit uh, especially, you know, your generation trying to understand the struggles. Can I, you know? One of the things I, I I said the other day to um, you know, to one of my colleagues, and I tell you, say this to my kids. You know, it's really challenging now because um, I I talk to people, I mentor them, I listen to them. And a lot of people are struggling in their own way, and you know a couple of truisms is it really does take 10 years or so to to feel like your practice is stable especially when you go out on your own but it's so hard to know what's real out there because there's so many people you know i call you know so many insta famous people now you know world renowned beverly hills they've been in practice you know um, you know, three months or something. So um, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you, you know, sharing your story and, and, and just any of the frankness that you can impart to us. So um, how long yeah, have well, you been? Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was going to say thank you, Dr. Williams. I appreciate you um, as being a younger solo facial plastic surgeon. You've provided so much insight to me early in my career that has been extraordinarily beneficial And I've sought out podcasts, you know, in your genre, and there's really nothing out there to provide the information that's so specific to what we do in the world of plastic surgery and facial plastic surgery, as well as so succinct and to the point that's, that's, you know, valuable for individuals like me as a small business solo provider. And so uh, again, I've sought you out at meetings as well too. And I've sidelined you and questioned you and you've always been so thorough and providing with answers that have been incredibly helpful for me in my early practice. So
0: I, I just want to well, say thank you. you for, and, it, you, know, you know, I, I with, find with your... it I find it very rewarding. I, I, I think it's what keeps me energized, you know, talking to the next generation. So, you know, any thoughts just, you know, for the future, any things that you, you, you would like me to do? I mean, what I'm looking to do is just kind of interview a variety of people who have done it in different ways. Um, any thoughts, comments, criticisms, things you'd like to see me do in the future, too?
1: No, I mean, I, I've really, you know, the, the podcast that you have done with younger surgeons, um, Ziad and Jason Bloom, and those ones, those have been fantastic, and they're very successful young facial plastic surgeons. I am, I am not very successful. We are definitely growing, but I think it would be beneficial to hear from other surgeons who are. are you know in the weeds of it they're trying to grow their practice organically they're they're not Beverly Hills status surgeons yet um, are just hearing sort of you know what has worked for them to help them
0: sort of maintain their trajectory in growth yeah um, and what hasn't worked um, because you know Jason
1: and Ziad and some of the folks in California they're doing fantastic and they're hitting home runs and that's awesome and, and when I listen to that you know I, I get I get a little jealous to be honest because they're doing fantastic and um, but I know that I'm growing at my own speed and and there's things that I've learned along the way in four to five years. And and I'm I'm happy with our growth thus far and, and um, just want to continue to grow.
0: Yeah. And I just want to give you words of encouragement too, because you know, I've said to fellows of mine who I run out, I ran into Steve Daines, who's a terrific guy and I'm, I'm going to, he's on my list to interview. He's been out 10 years now. Um, and, you know, he said to me, you know, I finally, like I said, finally starting to feel stable. Um, and it's things that we don't like to talk about, you know, the struggles yeah. we have. And, yes. you know, whether it's Jason or, or whether it's, um, you know, someone, Ziad or, or um, you know, a, um, other people that I've interviewed who, who seems like they just, you know, are doing incredibly well it's a grind um and i talk to a lot of young people who have really struggled to get going and like i said uh, my fellows in the past have said to me you know you just you never told us how hard it was going to be and i said to him yes i have told you many times you just weren't listening um and i think it's it's like a little bit of an unreality because you're in a fellowship and, you know, you're doing facelift and facelift and facelift and rhinoplasty and you're like, oh, that's what's (laughs) out there and then you get out there and there's crickets, you know. You're like, okay. And, you know, you do a few consults and, you know, the the patients are looking at you. They're 60 years old and they're like, this guy has no gray hair, you know. I mean, so... Because I remember people saying to me, how old are you now, you know? So... um, So how many years – yeah, go ahead. So you're not alone, you know, because everyone – and i got to give you a lot of credit for, you know, sharing your story and and sticking at it. And it will come. It just takes time.
1: Yeah, my fellowship director, Corey Moss, he told me essentially, you know, it's going to be about five years until you begin to develop a, a, a somewhat consistent surgical practice. And at the time, you know, like you were saying, you're just seeing nothing but surgical procedures and a humming practice, and you're anticipating that your practice when you open it is going to hopefully begin that trajectory at some point. And I remember I created a business plan for a bank loan that I applied for, and I thought I was very conservative in the numbers that I was going to be doing that first year. And to be honest, I think I booked one surgical procedure that first year. We did a lot of injectables and things like that. It was slower than I could have anticipated and then rolled right into covid and so it was, uh,
0: it which was a which is frightening absolutely yeah. uh, it was it frightening
1: for first couple of years
0: yeah it was it was frightening for those of us who um, those of us who have been you know out and seasoned i got to tell you i lost a lot of sleep over covid <laughs> a lot uh, part of it's cuz i got a lot of people um yeah. did you just go out on your own
1: Figured while i was young in the hustle and other means it made the most sense just to to bite that bullet and go out on my own right out of fellowship.
0: Yeah. And that's scary. Did you, did you know, did you know anyone in, in the area? I mean, where's home for you?
1: Um, Home. So yeah, so I grew up right outside of Washington, DC in Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. And that's home. I went to medical school here in DC at George Washington and then trained all over the country. And I, but I knew that I wanted to come back to this area. Sure. Uh, This is where I met my wife. This is where my family is. And I knew that if I was opening a practice, it would be helpful to have a referral base of friends and family that I could call upon in those, you know, especially those first couple of years, which was a great source of organic leads in that, you know, early time frame when you have no web presence, no SEO, you're not ranking anywhere, um, and you have no money to pay for advertising, so you really gotta rely on word of mouth. So that's really what spurred me to return back to this area, in spite of the fact that there's a lot of competition in this area. Um, it's my home and it's what I know.
0: Right, and you know, I I think you made a good decision. I always tell people, where do you, where's your family? I mean, listen, if you can afford to get on a plane, everyone feels like where they live is the most competitive in the world. I, I just it's just the way it is. I everyone I always talk about. Oh no, where I live, it's so competitive, you know, um, and it is everywhere. But but at least when you have family and family support, my my daughter and, and my son in law is doing Miller's fellowship. You know they're from this area. They went to school here. The two of them, they went to medical school. They went to college here. I mean, what an advantage over when I first came to. You know, I didn't know a soul. In fact, they tried to run me out of town. Plastic surgeon, and they were and they were vicious. Um. So at least to be able to have some friends and family are are helpful. So what was your strategy from the very beginning? And I mean, that was what 2018 or was it 17? We we opened in January of 2019. So oh boy. yeah, we, we finished. I finished fellowship in the summer
1: of 2018. Um, we were in the process of building out my office space and it was likely going to be a, a winter opening. So I and before we even opened, I was hustling, doing odds and ends. I was doing locum tenants, traveling doctor work for ENT, getting some part time ENT work here. I connected with with a medical school that I went to here in the area and got on the call schedule for trauma. So I was going doing trauma cases. Um, and when I was home and our practice wasn't open, I was, you know, I was, I was hitting the pavement and knocking on doors of pediatric offices saying, Hey, I'm a plastic surgeon down the street. I'm available to help sew up kids if you need to. I was going to internal medicine offices, just let them know about functional noses, um, dermatology practices for nose repairs, things like that. Um, that's a lot of what I was doing early and especially that first year when it was very, very, very slow. Mm. Um, and I tried to keep busy as much as possible with outreach, but it, cause that's, that's cheap outreach. It doesn't require money to do right. any of that stuff. Right. Um, I didn't really have the money in the beginning to pay for advertising. Um, what I was paying for during my first year was what I thought to be SEO and search engine optimization with the company. And it was, uh, thousands of dollars of, of wasted money. Uh, I would come to realize after about a year and, until I changed
0: companies, so that, I'm, I'm going to dig into that, that, that a little mistake. bit. So let me ask you something: <laughs> the locum tenants, like, were well, first of all, you, you know, tell me what that was like, because you know, this is I, I did a lot of this stuff too, but tell me what this was like. Would you recommend it? Um, what were the down downsides of that? I mean, obviously, you have a family, you got to, you got to be able to put dinner on the table, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, you know, the major downside is obviously being away from home. If there's family at home, that means they're not with you. And so that's that's the worst part of it. Thank goodness for FaceTime, though, so we can at least talk every day. Um, but the benefits of locum tenens are, you know, it's it's uh, talking to
0: Where people who know? have
1: jobs and other professions who, you know, the idea of traveling to do a job somewhere else and get paid a, a very healthy amount of money to them, that's pretty unique. And for my locum tenens work, I was traveling to the middle of Michigan um, in the beginning, two weeks a month, when I didn't have an open practice. I had free time, and I was going Monday to Friday, flying home Friday night for the weekend, and then flying back out Sunday for the next week.
0: Yeah, and you could do okay doing that because they they pay really well for locum tenants. So the, the the plus side, I would imagine is that when you're there, you're, you know, you're there, but the downside is you miss your family, and if somebody calls for laceration, you're out of town, you got to deal with that, right? Exactly,
1: yeah. So, you know, there were some pluses and minuses of, of doing locum tenens work. Um, one of the major pluses, too, especially for a younger facial plastic surgeon, is just
0: trying to get cases that can help build your case log yep. for your board certifications,
1: because if you're, you open a practice and it, you're doing no surgeries during that first year or very little, uh, it's hard to build a case log, so you try to get your cases wherever you can.
0: Yeah. So, how long did you do that for, Adam?
1: I did it for let's see. I started it in fall of 2018, and essentially did it right up through uh, almost right before COVID. I finished February of 2020. Got so it. So a little over a year.
0: Got it. Um, and
1: traveling was, you know, the worst part of it. I actually found a position here in DC. That I was able to do via locum tenens, so I
0: didn't have to travel. It, so that was sort of my last job. Yeah, that's. I mean, that you. And then of course, COVID hit, right? Yes. Yeah. So, beef. So your space that you went into. How how big of a space is it, is it the same space here now? And 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 how big is yes. the space? And how did you make that decision? And was that scary because you didn't have you know you didn't have a revenue stream to come in coming in
1: yeah so um we moved into the space in january 2019 and it's the space that i've had since then and uh it's it's bigger than i need i'll tell you that um at that point i had no clue the size
0: of the space that i needed for what i was doing i built out a a practice that i
1: thought made sense and it's beautiful um it's it's bigger than i need it to be and i've definitely grown into certain aspects of it it's currently about 1800 square feet of usable space about 2000 uh 2000 square feet of rentable space and it's probably, you know, four to five hundred square feet too big.
0: Uh, but every patient who comes in feels, you know, like they're in painful. the right place. Uh,
1: exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, there's a benefit to having that for sure. Yeah. And my practice is at Chevy Chase, Maryland, right outside of D.C. and the rent here is outrageous. It's probably yeah. not New York or, or California, but I'm paying a
0: pretty penny for that's my biggest expense by far. Yeah. Um,
1: is my, my rent, but it, it's worth it to me.
0: So, how did you get your first? So, so tell me about going around, meeting. You know all of the things you did, going out, meeting doctors. I mean, I I, uh, I recently um uh interviewed Sig Starkman. I don't know if it's come out yet, but Sid Starkman. But he, you know, he had like this incredible success in a short period of time, three or four years, and dropped all his insurances, doing facelifts and rhinoplasties, and is booked out. You know. Like, you're like, really? I mean, I, I remember those those days, like you're talking about, you know. Wh- what did, you know, of all those things that you did, tell me what you did and which things were a total waste of time. And I'm talk- not talking about marketing, but going around meeting doctors and those, which ones actually helped you put a little dinner on your table, you know, those, those sorts of things were, were the most helpful. And what were the strategies? Because, you know, I did some of that stuff that was a total waste of my time.
1: Yeah. You know, pounding the pavement to other doctors' offices and getting my name, you know, name in front of a few doctors here or there for 30 minutes probably was the least successful. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they see it for 30 minutes, maybe you bring them some you know coffee or something like that. And then once you're out of the office, you're out of there. You got to think of them, you know, sort of like when the reps call on us, they're in the office for a little bit, drop off some stuff, and this is, they're gone, they're gone. Any specialties uh, in
0: particular that were. A total waste of time, or or any specialties that actually it, it, it benefited you. Um,
1: the internal medicine doctors, you know, have were, were not very receptive to you know what I was offering, even though I tried to sort of explain why you know, having a nasal surgeon who's board certified and fellowship trained could be valuable to their patients who can't breathe very well. Yeah. Um, just because they were so overwhelmed with their own patient loads, they just didn't really feel seem as receptive. Um, calling on allergists has been helpful because they're actually treating something, you know, with the persistent allergic rhinitis that's not responding to nasal medications. and They will send me functional, you know, procedures um, that has been more helpful
0: I actually, uh, I actually agree with that because you know what? Here's the thing about the allergists. they don't like ENT guys because they're stealing their allergy patients. Uh, yeah, and, and I have no interest in treating Right. Allergy, so other that's other it. Saying, you know, you take your FloNase, but yep. it's—I uh, can help with the functional component. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. You know, because I I went around, I went around, I gave. There's a family family medicine programs here. There's two of them. I gave them lectures on skin cancer. I gave them, and I don't think I ever saw anything in the early days from you know from that. It was I found primary care, uh, you know, even in in pediatrics. That was before I was doing all the vascular malformation stuff. I thought that was a that was a total waste. If I look back at it, yeah, yeah, it, that's sort
1: of what I gather too. I mean, in the first year though, I had a ton of time, and so if I was just sitting here twiddling my thumbs in my office, I figured I might as well go out and at least try to put my name out in front of someone. But. Right what is what was more valuable was was getting on the staff at the local university here in town george washington where i did medical school and yeah i knew, knew some of the doctors there and they knew me and i was taking call there and so then they were referring me noses and trauma and things that were was a little bit more consistent in referrals um,
0: that was that was definitely a, a better source of referrals for mm-hmm. me um now, did but, you just get privileges there and, like, do some volunteer teaching or did they give you, like, a part-time position?
1: So it started as the former where I got privileges and just volunteered onto the call schedule and would talk with the residents during cases about, you know, trauma. And then there's an off-site surgery center that's affiliated with the university. And some of the residents who had some interest in the facial plastics would come by and operate. But as time went on um, and I was doing more and more cases with them, they offered
0: me a assistant professor position at george washington university in the department that's great so it's a non tendered track
1: but you know it's a name only but it's you know it's i'm I'm excited about it and happy about it and i've worked hard with the residents to get them more exposure to facial plastics we even have a little bit of a a pseudo rotation now where they're trying to get out to my cases as much as possible or get to my office Um, we're doing injection clinics with the residents just trying to spread the word and in that manner, that keeps my name in front of a lot of the staff in the department, which hopefully will keep providing some, you know, patience by the way.
0: Yeah, I that was very helpful for me. I was in practice for a few years, um, and at that point I was actually starting to get a little busy. It's before injectables, you know, um, and I gave a lot of time to the residents. I got a little VA thing, and I got a part-time uh, I don't know if you call it non, I mean, I actually went through the process of becoming a clinical professor at one point, so it wasn't really a tenure track, but it, it allowed me to go down the academic road. And, you know, just yesterday, I saw, you know, rhinoplasty from, you know, one of the university guys, uh, and they have a facial plastic surgeon. So, you know, no one wants to hear that it pays off 30 years later, but I, th- those relationship things, I think, are more important in relationships. I found early on the ENT groups, um, they were they were I don't know threatened by me, jealous, whatever. Um, there's more camaraderie in the university. I found that to be more fruitful. How about the dermatologists? Did you did you try to work them at all? Was that beneficial? Uh,
1: I did, and it was not. <laughs> so uh, I I called on probably you know seven or eight most surgeons in the area. Uh, yeah. And, and I just put myself out there and said, Hey, you know, I'm a facial plastic surgeon. I'd love to do your recons for you. you know, I do nasal reconstructions. If there's a nasal tip that requires cartilage work and carbs cartilage. Um, but most surgeons do a lot of their own recons. Yeah. And if, if they're not going to do a MOS on that one and send it over to like a head and neck or you know, a plastic surgeon, then they'll let someone else do that heavy recon. Um, I, I had no success with that as much as I, you know, wanted to. It, it, it was a nut that was impossible for me to crack.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I think it's strictly geographic. Um, I mean, if you heard my interview with Katrina I told him, you, you you go out and you go visit every dermatologist in you know, 60 miles, and he did that, and it was very fruitful. Where I lived, the derms were, I'd visit 10 of them, and one of them would send me maybe a skin cancer or something. <laughs> and, um, the Mohs guy, I ended up, I, in fact, I had a long time relationship with him. And 25 years later, I ended up doing a facelift on his wife and a brow lift on him. But um, but early on, he trained, he did two years in the service and in, in, I think in general surgery. So other than forehead flaps, he did almost everything himself. So the only thing he would send me were these big, ugly holes that were massive, like half of the nose is missing. And, you know, I trained with, with Burgett and I felt comfortable with it. Was It wasn't you know, the only consolation that came out of that is that the 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 other derms in town got to respect me because they're like, okay, if this guy's sending his stuff to Williams, then Williams must be pretty good. But I, I didn't see, uh, I didn't get a lot of it. The hard part with derms now is they are all they're all brainwashed to send their patients to the Mo's guys. You know, so it, it's really hard to break that referral. Fast forward, Slaughter, who works with me, he was our junior guy. You did my fellowship, you know, we've had two or three new mos guys pop in, pop up in the area. They're no longer trained as well as Mulvaney, um, and they send him. And by the way, now they don't, they don't, they're not allowing them to build two seat to the CP. They don't get their repair and their excision on the same day, so they're like, eh, why bother? And they send a ton to slaughter. So I, I just think it's geographic, and, and for whatever reason, in your area. Those referral patterns might be locked up, you know, uh, but you got to try, right? You got to try something. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I definitely tried. And, and even here here and there, if I meet a doctor out and about, I'll always, you know, give a business card or at least let them know that I'm available for something that's, you know, doesn't overlap with what they do, so
0: I don't threaten them or their services. Yeah. How about the emergency rooms? Did you, did you find that helpful, useful? I, I, I... Called on
1: a few ERs. I went to a few emergency department morning meetings that they would have and you know, gave my business card and said, hey, if there's a lack that goes in the middle of the day and the plastic surgeon doesn't want to come down, I'm available in my office. And, and I have had some people come in. I, I can think of one patient who's become a repeat um, injectable patient yeah. from that scenario. And so over the couple of years, that's you know, paid off. Um, it hasn't been a, a big boon, but I, I definitely have my name out there with some of the EDs Trying to at least let them know I'm available during daytime hours. My, so you know, of course, worry is a middle of the night type consult. But yeah, you know,
0: what are you going to do? We've all been there. I I remember I I had this one guy. You know, he liked me, and and I, you know, when I first met him, I'm like, look, you know, I don't care if they don't have insurance. Just call me, and and sure enough, he, you know, he came. He he. That was productive. A lot of them weren't, and. Um, what other things did you try? What are the things that were effective to get to get your you know, kind of get things going, and even including now injectables? Like, you know, what did you do to get your name out there for that?
1: We, you know, our sort of word of mouth through the, our local friends and family was was the biggest thing that got us going in the first year and a half. Yeah. Um, but the, the second, and actually probably better long term option with me is.
0: I establish relationships with some medical spas here in the area, not as like a medical director or yeah. anything like that,
1: but more of just going to them and be like, hey, listen, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'd love to come out here if you wanted to, you know, have some patients come in for some consults. And I'll go to your spa and I'll talk with them and meet with them and then, you know, talk to them about surgery. And if they have an interest in surgery, then we can send them up through my office, you know, down in Maryland, down in Chevy Chase and, And kind of go from there. And and there's one spa in particular that's in an adjoining county to
0: where I am that is pretty underserved with plastic surgery. Yeah. so it's been a huge referral That's been a huge referral source?
1: That was a huge referral source, getting connected with a, a local spa that does its own injectables and skin treatments and stuff like that. But for surgical procedures... Um, the spa owner there's a nurse practitioner. She sort of knows her limits, and she knows sort of what she can and cannot do, and um, where surgery is indicated. Yeah, so you know,
0: Jason. Really- uh, you know, Jason. That's Jason Bloom's whole approach and philosophy with his injectables. Um, you know, Jason figures that you know I I teach them event. You know, just give 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 give. I teach. Become known as the guy. I'm not going to teach my competition. Meaning, you know plastic surgeons but mm-hmm. if I teach these people they're gonna be a friend of mine and it's worked very well for him so I think it's a great strategy um, providing you work with the right people that are ethical and all that let me ask you did yes. you ever have did you ever have one of them like say you know try to work something where they ask you for some kind of a medical director fee split thing uh, I did. yeah <laughs> I typically sort of do some Google searching
1: on that to figure out how, you know, what that is and what it is and how it's, how it is in fact illegal.
0: And yeah, um, it's unethical. It's illegal. It's all that. The interesting thing is about, you know, they don't understand revenue sharing with a non-physician and, um, you know, and, and, and there's so many industries, they do fee splits, whether you're in real estate, but when it comes to the delivery of healthcare, it's not only, you know, unethical. Some people say, Oh, it's not really because it's cosmetic BS. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, you don't want to be associated. I can't tell you how many young guys have called me with that question. I'm like, don't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. It's all good until it's bad. Now you get the Office of Medical Misconduct, you know, um, yeah. breathing. But and it's just, yeah. Trying to avoid
1: the medical board as much as possible. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. So that's interesting. Anything else that was really, you thought was really helpful? that outreach was
1: actually the best for me in terms of going to the spas and yeah. just sort of, you know, this is what I can offer. You know, I'm not going to step on your toes with your injectables or skin treatments. Um, that has been the most fruitful for me in terms of referrals outside of organic word of mouth. Um, but then the growth of my online presence in terms of SEO and Google rankings and stuff like that, that has now, probably surpassed but that takes a long time and it takes sort of the right people doing the right things
0: that's not Um, easy and that whole thing is daunting right by the way yes yes it it was terrifying in the beginning because i
1: I had no google rankings no sort of photos to speak of no online presence and nobody's going to go to you in the beginning when you have nothing to show
0: which is crazy uh, right i mean you know what happened to us around 2015 is I I think our numbers started to soften a little bit and it, I think it was because I was complacent. You know, I was busy up until then, you know, and even during the recession, you know, things slowed a little bit, but I I've been here for 20 years. So but all of a sudden, like you said, you know, if someone gets online and you don't have a lot of Google reviews, you're nobody. uh mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, you, right. go to, you want to go buy a certain type of flooring, right? What do you do? You check it out online. You check out the reviews. You read all that stuff. If you have nothing, so how did, what strategy did you use, you, you know, if you're willing to share a little bit, you know, just to gain some traction? Like, you know, again, on, how did we do this on a shoestring? yeah
1: well, on a shoestring, you know you you go back to the well, which is your friends and family who can provide not your family, obviously your immediate family, but you know friends who come in and have a good treatment or refer a friend of the friend who had come in and have a good treatment, they're happy with their Botox initially or some filler. you just ask them to write an honest review of, of you know their experience and and I'm by no means uh, like in the hundreds of
0: hundreds of reviews where I think we're at like fifty three five star reviews. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and, and I'm very proud of that. We try to curate it such that you know
1: we're making sure that all of our patients are happy. But the patients that express happiness to us are the ones that we try to go after.
0: And that's that's a pro, by the way, because here's the thing: is I tell this to my team. It's like you just got to keep throwing you shit against the wall because you <laughs> may you, you finally get like yesterday we, we saw a patient and. Um, you know, in the clinic and Alexi who does our social media is down there. And she's like, she comes out of the room. She goes, you know, she doesn't want to use her photos. She's like, Oh, it's just, she goes, you know, she's enthusiastic. She's beautiful. I'm like, Lexi, it's the game. You know, it's, it's the game. So you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but you just keep throwing the crap against the wall. One by one, you start building that because it is absolutely daunting if you don't have the other pearl. And what we learned is that, you know, a five star Google review for my my partner Slaughter, who fixes his skin cancer, is just as good as a five star facelift review. Unless, of course, it gets specific and you know, I searched all over and I blah 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 blah. But the reality is, it's a lot easier to to get a five star review from a you know a really happy person who you kind of gave them something or you treated them something. And Catrue did that. He he said. I think he said when he, you know, early on with his rhinoplasty patients, he said, look, uh, if you don't mind, like, you know, let me use your pictures and this and that'll take care of your bump. And he got some really nice, you know, reviews and before and after photos that allows him to have him to post something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes a while to sort of snowball. Um, but once you start getting consistent patients into the practice and they start you start getting results that are consistent with happy patients then happy patients will be more amenable to writing reviews it's just that in the beginning you know when i first came out we weren't really having many patients at all and so it's tough to get those small amount of people to actually put the pen to paper and do the review because we can ask 10 people to do a review and only one of them's going to do it
0: yeah and that's just, that's the numbers game right yeah Anything so, that you found that's been helpful to get people to do they say they're gonna do reviews and to get reviews?
1: Well, we try to make it as easy as possible
0: and yeah. we just text we text the patients a link to our Google profile and yeah. so
1: assuming they have a Google profile of their own that they can then just quickly tap out the review. But Google a couple of years ago made it such that you couldn't do anonymous reviews, so then it has to be associated with a Google a Google account. Right. So that, that put a little bit of a, a hurdle up there. Um, I know of some services out there that'll maybe put like an iPad in your office and make it a little bit easier to try to get the patient to complete the review on site. Um, we are not doing that quite yet, but we're just trying to be consistent with reaching out to our happy patients, knowing that maybe 25% of them will actually complete the review. Yeah, And if, if we can get a few, um, you know, few a week to you know five a month ten a month then that's a, a good number for
0: us yeah listen we're happy you know we're, we're happy to get you know a few a, a few a month. um it, but it's an uphill battle and i gotta tell you when, yeah. whenever we when i think it was in 2018 we decided we need 100 per doctor and to me that just seemed daunting how the hell are we gonna go from zero to 100 but we're very uh prodigious about it we you know we're the nurses are, uh, you know, we celebrate and, and you know who got the most Google reviews this month and, yeah. you know, and some of the nurses it's not in their chemistry; they don't want to ask, you know. And then other nurses, uh, you know, we started we started rewarding them, giving them like you know ten dollar gift cards and. Everyone, and there's a way there's a way to ask too, right? It doesn't mean can we use it's you know, hey, you know, did you you saw Doctor Singleton's you know before and afters was it helpful? Yeah, it was helpful. You know, did you? Did, um, You know look you can say no but are you are you open i mean mean, if it really especially the people who are happy right and they say oh my god it was it was so helpful i'm so glad i got to see this video and you know would you be open to sharing and you know that's a pretty non-threatening way but you know to ask people but we have just been you know and and you know you don't want to like you know people want their privacy too but um we've just learned that you, it just has to be every day. You know, um, Lexi, who does some of our, you know, in-house now social media, she comes down, she takes a look at my patient list for the afternoon and she goes through who's given consent, who hasn't, you know, who's got it, you know, and and we just one by one um, go after it. And you, I don't think you can ignore it in this day and age. Do you?
1: No, unfortunately you cannot. And And I think Google reviews, to me at least, seem to be, the, the pinnacle of, of the reviews yep. here, um, the other sites. We don't bother with Yelp because I think they Yelp a scam. And then Facebook is sort of an odd duck. Um, I, I don't know if it's really that much worthwhile, but, you know, I've been told that, like, health grades and vitals are important just to sort of round out your profile because if you're on your Google profile page, you will actually see your health grades and your vitals review numbers on that page as well, too. So having a ton of Google reviews I think is the best, and, and i If a patient is open and willing to put it onto another site, um, as long as it's not word for word, then that sometimes can be helpful too.
0: Yeah. Um, One thing that we, Lexi has been doing on on social media, which I found to be helpful for us, if a patient leaves a review and they've also given consent for social media, you know, they'll do their before and afters with their, in quotes, their review. And, you know, that gives a lot of credibility. People are like... You know, they see that person made that comment and they see the before and afters. It's not just throwing up a before and after. We always yep. try to make the story about the patient, not about us, you know, that kind of yep. thing in the patient experience. Um, so what's your what's your practice like, you know, now five, you know, five years into it, having dealt with COVID? Um, you know, where you know, what's yep. kind of your mix of your practice and, and, you know, where are you hoping to go the next five years?
1: Yeah, so we're we're coming up on our 4th anniversary, uh, you know, close to our, you know, the, the mid-decade uh, mark and um, we continue to grow. I've uh, been very happy with our growth for the past couple of years. COVID was obviously an interesting year, but it was, you know, coming from the first year that I was open in 2019 to 2020, I did better in 2020 than I did in 2019, so I consider that a positive even though it was yeah. a, a bad bad year for a lot of folks. Um, the breakdown of my practice is probably about seventy percent aging face, twenty percent rhinoplasty, ten percent injectables. Um, and I, and I you know, everybody wants more of what they don't have. Right. So I wish, you know, Isn't the, that funny? Rhinoplasty numbers were a little yeah. bit higher. Um, I can't say the same about my injectables because I would love to not be doing injectables, and I, that's a whole other discussion about the injectables and the companies that create them. Right. But uh, the aging face is definitely sort of driven my practice. In the first four years, surgical and non-surgical, um, less invasive treatment options that we do here in the office.
0: Yeah, what's? Are you concerned about what you're hearing about, you know, potential recession, or just going to put your head down and keep working?
1: I'm just going to put my head down and keep working because there's really nothing that I can do about a recession. Um, I agree with you. And and sort of tracking, you know, you know what we do is a luxury item. And in, in tracking luxury items in the economy right now, there is actually no decrease in spending in luxury items. Smaller ticket items, Botox and, you know, skincare and stuff like that, you know, foresee that could be lower or less in the future. But that's a small part of my practice. So I'm less concerned with that. But the higher ticket items that cost, you know, many thousands of dollars, they haven't slowed down yet. And I know that economists in some circles and you know some figureheads of companies have said that we're heading towards a recession. You know we can't do anything about that, so we just kind of have to plow ahead and and prepare at least for possible downturn. But also just keep working and keep plugging away on our practice.
0: Yeah, my experience share with that is I've been through ninety-five recession, two thousand one bubble, nine eleven. In two thousand eight, and then uh, and COVID, and there is not much you can do about any of these things. I, I think that you got to continue to invest in your future and your growth, and and not, you know, contract your thinking. You just have to, you know. And for some reason, it, it, we have a lot of a lot of people here now. So it it I do think about it from time to time. I don't ever, I don't. The problem with the, with you know, I look at these big companies. Like I just read, um, you know, Amazon just laid off eight thousand people. You know. They do it in a heartbeat. Um, I don't want to let any of our good people. We have such good people. To me, my goal in a recession, I'll take less to keep the good people. But you know, you can't worry about it. You just gotta, you gotta you know, focus on your vision. Um, and you know, just do what you got to do to get there. What? So let's say, what would be your ideal practice ten years into practice? What would you think would be ideal for you? What would you like that to look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now our practice is is pretty small. So it's me as the sole provider. It's my wife, uh, who's the office manager and front desk. We have a full-time patient care coordinator who does the sales. And then a part-time nurse slash esthetician one day a week. And... I hope to continue to grow and hire more staff to support me in the back of the house. Cause pretty much I do all the cleanup and, you know, set my, my rooms here and there and clean up my injectables. Um, goal would be to continue to grow the staff in the back of the house, hire, uh, a nurse or a nurse or a PA in the next couple of years for injectables, just to take that off my plate. So I can focus more on my surgical patients. Um, and I enjoy aging face and I enjoy rhinoplasty. Um, and I would love to continue to grow my practice in whichever way it continue You know, it seems organically to to move down. Um, that's sort of where I'm thinking in 10 years in terms of bringing on another full provider, you know, a physician, another surgeon. I don't have any plans for that in the immediate future, unless you know something changes drastically in terms of volume of of surgeries. Um, but that would be something you know, 15, 20 years down the road that I would consider.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, re- that's a that's a good point. I think that's a real mature move, bringing someone on. Um, I don't know if you know, but I mean, I made a mistake, you know. I made a mistake five, six years into practice. And um, you want to make sure you've got, you are rock stable on your business model. You're rock stable on your people. Uh, bringing in, you know, plastic surgeon another, other, fa- you know, you, you're, uh, it's a, it's a big boy move, and there's a lot of uh. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Mike Nyack about it. He's like, he's like, why would I do that? I, you know, I, I, you know, you know, it's me, and I keep it all. Um, there are some advantages to that. The disadvantages, you, you know, I have a business. I, I could sell. I have a business that is uh, got value beyond me. I've got a business that, if I'm gone for two weeks, revenue, serious revenue, is still coming in. But with that comes, you know big time responsibility and potential headaches and the advice. Uh, cause I get people asking me all the time, you know, what do you think? Do you think I should do it? I've been in 10 years. I'm like, just really make sure it's uh, it's the right person. You're the right culture. You're not compromising anything before. And you've got to have something for them to offer. Um, make yeah. sure you're happy with what you've got first. Um, any questions you have for me? I try to keep these about 40 minutes cause that's the average commute uh, I really appreciate you sharing. You know some of the things you've struggled with, and I think it's good for people to hear that the you know eighty ninety percent of people it's a it's an uphill battle, and I think that's why a lot of people don't take that risk. Um, so I, I commend you for doing that. I commend and I, I appreciate you sharing. Any you know things you want to ask me, or you know maybe pearls or you know, words of wisdom, you know things that you want to. People always want to ask me stuff too. So if, if you, any any things that you you know want to ask me you think might be helpful for people who are listening
1: well i I've, I've i've always asked you questions whenever i see you i feel like i sidebar you with something new every time i see you or i'm asking or i'm emailing your office for your book list or getting a copy of your book or, or doing something this that and other so i feel like i've bothered you enough um and, and i don't believe
0: it or not have any questions for you today no just it's, it's, um, listen uh, if you ever have any shoot them to me i try yeah. to cover them on a podcast and if you have any ideas for Upcoming podcast, but uh, I'm looking to just, like I said, bring in people that who who can help and add value because it really isn't a farm yeah. for that. At the meetings, as you know, it's it's a sidebar. If somebody yeah, it's yeah. a quick conversation in the hallway.
1: I, I guess you know the thing that I enjoy talking about, and I remember we spoke about this in like twenty nineteen at the San Diego meeting. I was involved in the
0: business meeting on that Wednesday prior to the real meeting. Yep. I gave a, t- I gave a talk about, you know, starting a practice
1: when you were young. And, and, and one of the takeaways that I love telling everybody about solo practice is that you can do it. If you really want to do it, it's, it, it is daunting and it is scary and there's a lot of stress involved, but if that's what you want to do, then you should do it. And it requires a little bit of business acumen, which is where, you know, Dr. Williams, you come into play where I, I'm asking you questions I'm reading your book and getting your book lists, but it, it makes a world of difference being your own boss and setting your own schedule and creating your own culture, which, you know, you and I have talked about and a lot of books have talked about to sort of fit with your personality, um, which will mean longer term happiness. Um, in my mind, if, if you're not happy in your job, it's going to be a really hard job and creating your own practice with your own culture can go a long way to affirming our decisions as surgeons and just long-term happiness, I would say.
0: Well, I think that's a really good, a really good point to make. Um, one of the things that, you know, I think about on a daily basis because I, I don't really need to work, but I have some of my best friends and people that I've chosen to work with here with me. Um, I like what I do. I know, I remember when I met with financial planning people about, I don't know, 10 or years ago, and they're they're asking me these questions, and they're like, when I'm retiring. And I was like, why? I mean, and they're like, you know, the reality is most people don't really love what they're doing, Um, which is true, I guess. You know, people talk about, thank God it's Friday, and and, uh, you know, one more week to my vacation. I still get jacked up about what I do. Sometimes, you know, I, I have a lot of people, so sometimes, uh, you know, you, with people come people, families, and family problems, and and stuff like that. But it is it is what I've tried to create here with my our partners is, uh, we're we're all to some degree at a high level respect partners, and I don't tell them when they work. Um, you know, they make their own schedule, and uh, but. It isn't always that case. I mean, I know a lot of people who join and, you know, I think statistically 80, 90% of people coming together fall apart after, and we all know who they are, you know, colleagues of ours. They bring someone in and it just doesn't work. But um, I remember in the early days feeling very isolated and lonely too. And so that's one thing that I I don't feel anymore. And that's kind of nice. Yeah, I agree. There's a great network of young surgeons in, in sort of similar situation as me
1: and, you know, within a decade or so of practice that I call upon regularly um, that is just great to experience. And then it's just great to see at our meetings and run into them and, you know, sit down and chat with them and bounce ideas off. And that's why – that's what I love what I do, or, or that's one of the things that I love about my job is just talking with other surgeons, getting new ideas, and, and, and going from there.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to get together mit- with me. I look forward to seeing you at the upcoming meetings. Stay involved and, uh, you know, and, and just keep passing it down to the next generation. You know, we're a small group, so we got to stick together. Sounds good, Ed. Thanks for having me All right, me thank I, I appreciate you. appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, thanks. You